Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. If any one of the listeners have anything on their mind, any challenge, any issue, which gives them that pain, perhaps keeping them awake at night, just write it down on a paper and think of who can I take this to. It can be uh, a friend, a colleague, a family member. Otherwise, there's so many anonymous hotlines you can call. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 111. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nick Johnson. Nick is an international best-selling author and award-winning speaker, leadership keynote speaker, and executive mental health advocate. Nick is also the co-founder and MD of EGN Singapore, one of Asia's premier networking organizations. He built a caring community that provides hundreds of executives with a safe haven to share their challenges and receive support and learn from each other. Nick is passionate about raising awareness of mental health and combating loneliness in the modern business world. He recently published a book, Executive Loneliness, The Five Pathways to Overcoming Isolation, Stress, Anxiety, and Depression in the Modern Business World, which provides practical strategies for overcoming isolation and building connections in the workplace. Nick, it's so great to have you on the show today. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for the warm welcome. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'm going to jump right in because, you know, your your bio has a lot, a lot to unpack. Um, I'm very interested in the in the community component of it. But I want to jump right into the area, which I think is very, very relevant uh, for executives today. I almost wonder if you think it's more relevant today than before. But that's the issue of loneliness. Why do you think I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of unpack it from my own mind. You've got organizations, companies, these are usually big places with lots of people. And yet at the same time, the person who's in charge of it all, you're telling us, feels lonely and feels like they don't have a place to turn and all of that. So unpack what that looks like and tell us why you think that is. Well, as the good old saying goes, you know, it's lonely at the top and it's certainly true. And the more you look into this topic, the more you realize that that's how it is. But what I mean with that is not necessarily that you have to be the CEO to feel lonely. It can be lonely at every level in an organization. And especially perhaps if you feel that there's no one you can talk to about your challenges, you might be worried that they will take it to someone else, or maybe you're worried that you will not be up for the next promotion, or maybe you're shy to admit something that you worry that if people find out about this, maybe you'll be next in line to let go. So that are some of the issues that executives really feel internally, and that when they keep these uh, inside themselves, that's when loneliness can creep in. Mm, wow. Yeah. And I think that the vulnerability piece you know, because again, we're surrounded with a lot of people. And by the way, I'm a former headmaster of a, of a school. So I know exactly what this looks like. And that's actually something I talk about in my first book, Becoming the New Boss, is the idea that as you transition into leadership, it's no, you're not playing the same game anymore. It might be the same company. And you might have just been promoted one level up. But it's a total change in mindset in terms of what your job is, your responsibilities. But it's also about Inter or connecting with and interacting with your people in a very, very different way. And you don't have as many people playing that game as you did when you were further down the ranks. 
So that does create a sense of who can I talk to? So I know you've created an organization to help people. Tell us a little bit about that and how that helps. And what would you say are the primary benefits that leaders get from the networking and the other things that you're involved with? Well, so let's imagine then for a moment that you feel a bit lonely internally in your organization. You feel that you have no one to talk to about this. And perhaps you also feel frustrated if you come home to talk about it to your family, they might not understand you. And also if you come and see your friends, they might not also understand what you're going through because they're working at a different level as well. Sure. So what we have, So what we have created here is then peer groups where we match you with like-minded peers so you meet with them at a similar level so if you're working uh, for an SME where you are a few employees then you will meet with other entrepreneurs if you're working for big multinational and you have 500 staff in your company then you will be in a group placed with like-minded so that you should feel the sympathy and you can support each other so what does that support look like? I mean, I, I would assume to use the Yiddish, I'm sure it's not just a big schmooze fest, right? I'm sure there's more than just, hello, how are you? What's going on? What specifically have you found are the topic areas, the exercises? What is it that that helps people sort of break through that sense of loneliness? And is it just when they're in meetings or is it happening between sessions as well? So each session, and it's typically four hours. So it's half a day, which is quite long today. Normally you join one hour or two hours, but four hours, and we block them long time in advance, up to a year, so that you can make sure that you discipline yourself and show up. And you want to have the same people coming to the meeting so that you build that trust. You make the bond because you need to be having a vulnerability in the room that you share honestly so that you can help each other. And what is happening is also here that we don't just have presenters that come in and talk, but it's really you who bring in your challenges. You need to come prepared and bring in what are the work related challenges you are facing right now. And we take turns then so that the, uh, the members get up in front for the group and present what are the challenges. And then typically there's a questioning. Everyone will question and clarify what, uh, what the issue is. And then after that, we typically divide the audience and around 20, 25 of them in four different different groups. So you have four different groups working on your problem and coming back with solutions, suggesting, presenting to you. So you should leave this session really feeling, you know, that you had a couple of different ideas from the different groups. Mm. It sounds very much, I, I run a mastermind group and it sounds, it sounds very similar to what we try to do as well. We have a hot seat where somebody presents a dilemma and then the rest of the group weighs in with solutions. So I, I hear that. You mentioned one word in your process, in your description, and that was vulnerability or being vulnerable. And so uh, I know you talk about that. I know that that's an area of focus for you. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those terms that is thrown out a lot and it's important to be vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. So my question to you is twofold. Number one, why do you think vulnerability is an important thing? And number two, why specifically is it important for men? Meaning to say, why do men, which is, I believe, something that you share, why is it that men struggle with vulnerability more so than women? Well, first of all, yeah, vulnerability these days, I think we need to see it as a strength and we need to really practice this muscle of being vulnerability. And if we practice this in a safe environment, may it be in your mastermind groups or in our peer groups, so we just get that um, trust in the process and we start to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, then we start to 
outside of, of this safe space also be vulnerable, perhaps with our family, with our, with our children, for example. And, and you mentioned here about men also. And it's very difficult for uh, a boy to go to the father sometimes to cry and vice versa. We are very close as men in these relationships. And uh, just very briefly, I can share a very quick story here with you because there was last week, I also have a men's group outside here where we have, are talking about issues. And there was a gentleman whose son is 18 years of age and his cat have died and they have been together for 18 years. The cat was born basically when the son was born. And he said, he, I know that my son is suffering inside, but it's very difficult to talk to him about this. It's hard to discuss his feelings. He's not crying openly. He's just shut down and he's just isolating himself. So I think we just need to really create these safe places, maybe in a men's group, a peer group, a mastermind group, where we talk about our feelings and we become more vulnerable so that we create a society where it's okay to be more open with each other. Okay, so I'm hearing it in a very specific way, which is totally fine. The idea that I should be able to open up and have have candid conversations about my emotions and things like that. And that really is very important. I will actually share just for my own personal experience. My parents divorced when I was very young. There was a lot of, let's call it trauma, associated with that for a variety of reasons, which I'm not going to unpack right now. But it did involve going, shuttling back and forth between my parents, you know, during the course of a week. It affected my schooling. It affected my social um, network in terms of who my friends were and all these kinds of things. And my my reaction to it, I think just um, out of necessity, was to become more closed, let's say. In other words, to sort of take it in and and bottle it up and possibly take on this mindset that I don't need others because I'm just going to sort of make it work. It might have been just a, a macho bravado kind of thing that allowed me to get through what was otherwise a very difficult period. Um, and there's still lingering elements to it. So there's that piece of it for sure, you know, the ability to create a space where people can open up. But I think that you know, vulnerability, what I see it in the broader space, and maybe you could speak to this, let's say on social media, for example, I think people sometimes even take it too far, like they almost try to be vulnerable to get attention. But I'm talking about a little bit less dramatic than that, the more authentic version of it. Why do you think, first of all, why do you think it's important for people to be vulnerable when they communicate to their company, to their social media following or connections, etc.? And um, and why do you think people respond so well to that? Like, why do they, why do you think that that? I mean, I've noticed it. I think a lot of people will will react and engage in a vulnerable post, let's say, of mine, and then a information post by comparison. And that's that. I'm just curious to know your take on that. Yes, and I, I certainly see that as well. And uh, that's perhaps the reason why we're speaking today, because I made such a post back in 2019, where a friend and colleague of mine had died of suicide, I set up a fund to raise money and awareness for the cause. And what I didn't realize that after I made that LinkedIn post with a video of mine, the next day when I woke up, my whole feed was packed and I received emails and messages all over the world. It never happened before, not for any positive post or news or anything else. I've never seen anything like it. So it's certainly true that it drags that attention. What followed next was I, I went on live radio and newspapers. Everyone wanted to interview me. So perhaps it is almost like, you know, people are looking for that negative news and it's, 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 it's drama and it's all these kind of things coming in these articles and 
perhaps also not too many people are talking about it and that's perhaps the attraction here and i do believe though that it's better that we are too open and sharing so that someone can jump in and help rather than being closed down because if no one knows what's going on uh, we all know what this ultimately can lead to and that's what happened in the case of my friend who died of suicide everything looked great on the outside we had no idea what he was going through and I, I almost wonder if that description, I don't know your friend, his story or anything like that, but I imagine that the story itself resonated with a lot of people. I have a feeling, I mean, I don't think it's even a feeling, I think I've read it many, many times, of lots of, I mean, lots of people in general, but lots of successful people in particular, the kind of people who from the outside look like they have it all, um, and they're they're just ready to give it all up. You know, they they not just if they have suicidal tendencies, let's say we could go down this this path a little bit. Not that this is a focus topic of suicide specifically, but I think that that's the let's call it the the highest level of pain before people make a decision. And unfortunately, sometimes that decision could be to take their lives, which, of course, is very painful for everybody involved. But there's a reason it gets to that. Right. There's something going on where despite all of those external impressions or um, visualizations of success, the fancy sports car, the beautiful home, the great family, whatever that looks like for a person, you know, the Instagram life, so to speak, deep down, people feel empty or broken in some kind of way. What has been your experience there? Obviously, if you're supporting CEOs and and men in particular, because I think it's more it's more prone amongst men to take that uh, that path. What 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 is your take on all of that? And what can we do um, in a societal sense, systemically, to really um, address this issue more more directly? Yes, and it is a huge issue. And I'm talking about this in my book as well. And I refer to it commonly as a smiling depression, where we live in this society where we portray something uh, of happiness and success on the outside, which is not reflected on the inside. And that was indeed what was happening in my friends and colleagues place as well. He had just been to Mount Everest. And he said he had the best year of his life. He had a girlfriend he loved and he shared on Facebook just before this happened that he'd never been happier. So you're absolutely right it's commonly that the people will show perhaps the biggest success they ever had and then suddenly it happens so and that is just that it's not reflecting it, 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 the link between reality and what is happening is there's a mismatch there and i think to if you're suffering internally to keep up with that facade and that sm fake smile or the smiling depression that that is just draining and many times also addictions comes into play and many times it's a fine line between a, when a bad habit turns into addiction and if people are suffering they're looking perhaps uh, everything from shopping gambling to drugs or alcohol or any other addiction and then it's a downward spiral from there wow yeah and, and the, I, the, the scariest part to me of everything you just shared was that everything that in the picture of your friend at least to the world at large everything was rosy Right. He was totally on a positive trajectory and everything looked right. And you said he posted something that was that was extremely positive and and, and um, encouraging as well. And so you don't even know you don't even know how that could how that could come to be. 
Um, so without without going too much deeper into that for now, but there is an area that I think is related, and I know you write about this as well. It's called resilience, <clears throat> and you know, right now we're recording this conversation uh, in the aftermath of some shocking news in the financial sector, uh, banks failing here in the U.S., and uh, you know the ripple effects that that those kinds of things have in the world economy and the world in general. There's a lot of uncertainty right now between inflation, economy, political matters, wars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we have, of course, our personal lives, which are in the context of all of this stuff that's going on. How do you help people or what is some advice that you would have for folks who want to be more resilient? They, they, they know that they need to be able to get their head out of the news. They need to be able to focus even when things are difficult be resilient in their relationships, in their um, business building, whether that's sales calls, whether that's other things, just dealing with all the all the challenges and the headwinds. What's your approach? Well, I think you almost said it there. Get your head out of the news. I think that that's the first thing here, right? It's about looking after what you can control and uh, don't look at the whole world. Don't absorb all the world's problems and take them on your shoulders. Do what you can do. And, uh, and you know, I've been in, in recovery myself after I had a, a, some mental health crisis and, and issues a couple of years ago. And coming back then, it was really about living a day at a time and focusing on what you can do. And, and that is how I live now. I'm trying to not look overseas and of course it's very difficult to avoid all these news because they're coming from every channel but then take a step back you know and uh, I'm also trying to make sure that I'm back to basics you know eating well sleeping well exercising and if you have the fundamentals right and you live a day at a time and you're doing the right next thing the only thing that you can do now then you're in a pretty decent place. Okay, so you you actually started to answer the next question that I was going to ask, which is great. And you talked about sleeping and, and eating properly, exercise, all of that. But the main question was going to focus on this idea of living one day at a time, because that is, you know, it really is a foundational and fundamental approach. But it's not always so easy to execute because our brains don't do what we want them to do, right? And so, for example, you know, the idea if I tell you not to think about, uh, to use... Um, I'm forgetting his name, Seth Godin's example of purple cows, right? If I tell you, do not think about purple cows, your brain will only think about purple cows, right? So your brain will not listen to you the way you want it to. And your emotions uh, follow a similar a similar path. So practically speaking, it's all nice and good. We can say that all the cliches about live it one day at a time and get back to basics. But practically speaking, walk us through what that looks like. So that when you have all those voices chirping in your head, you're still in control. Well, I think exercise plays a big role in this. And and if you go for a swim or a jog and you, you do it with someone, you know, in, in an organization or you join your club where you can do it, then you break that pattern and you don't think about something. It's about, again, the power of now, you know, and, and also this links us into meditation. And I myself actually jumped into a lot of meditation during the pandemic. I joined some classes and a lot of it was online then. And I bring that with me now. I find it amazing and then adding breathing exercises and things like that again it's basic stuff but it makes a big difference and i think we need more of that during these times yeah yeah i would agree with you and i would actually add that the timing of it matters too so i do it first thing in the morning and that sets me for the day there are people who might do it during their lunch break which is a nice way to sort of you know 
unpack the morning and simultaneously have a fresh restart for the later in the day. You could do it at night, whatever serves you. But I think the more that we align the things that are very important to us with the ideal timing physiologically for our brains, for our bodies, the more in tune we are with all of that, usually we get maximal mileage uh, out of that. So that was really great. And I wanna ask you a question. This is a little bit off the beaten path, certainly from our conversation, but maybe, maybe really could align very neatly with what we've been talking about. What's something that you believe deeply, something that you hold to be true that almost nobody agrees with? Well, I think I want to talk a little bit here about deflating the ego. And I think that's something that is difficult for many to address and look at. But I think about, you know, admitting that perhaps they are not the center of the universe. And especially in the context of a, of um, CEOs and the C-suite and senior executives, perhaps they're used to having so many people around serving them, looking after them, then, you know, they get the VIP treatment everywhere they go. But that is not the healthy and good place to be. So it's about, again, taking a step back and, and deflating the ego by realizing that I'm not the center of the universe. Maybe there's a power greater than myself there. And it sounds perhaps that I'm almost coming into spirituality. And, and that is also what I'm hinting at here. Okay, which which is totally fine by me. It's I think it's pretty obvious that I'm a uh, religious person by by definition, uh, prayer and um, and and service and community and of course God Himself uh, are all central to my existence and I don't hide that uh, physically or otherwise. So I, I have no issue with going there. Uh, it is really interesting because you 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 effectively deflated my ego as you were talking, and I don't mean that sarcastically. But the idea is that it's a great reminder that we're not just because of the position we occupy doesn't make us necessarily superior to other people it does mean we're given greater responsibility you know there's a a saying in in the jewish faith it's one person in particular who 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 was quoted as saying i have the capacity of a thousand people but i therefore have the responsibility of a thousand people so whatever we were gifted by god right that's part of, that's really what humility is at its core it's not that I don't recognize my value, right? Moses, uh, again, to use a biblical example, the, the, the Torah very clearly says that Moses was the greatest person ever. And yet at the same time, he's the one who wrote it in the book, so to speak. And how do you do that? That's somewhat incongruous, right? How could I write that I'm the greatest if I'm, I'm also the most humble, right? It says he's the most humble, right? So how do you how do you figure that out? And the answer is because being humble doesn't mean you don't recognize your greatness. What it means is that you... Um, recognize that you were given these gifts, but they're there to serve others. It's not about you. And what you did effectively there, Nick, in your in your statement was you took the CEO and brought him or her to a place where they start to think a little bit differently. When I was head of school, I thought I was the greatest thing because everybody told me I was. And that that's at least at the beginning, you know, until I ran into some trouble. But that that you, if you believe you're impressed, you can easily get yourself into trouble. And so thank you for bringing us back to reality, so to speak, uh, with that. And this, la this last question of this segment, it's a question I ask all of my guests, um, and you may have already alluded to it, but this is going to be more personal for you. What has been your biggest mistake in your journey so far, and, and how have you learned from it and grown from it? 
Well, it was when I kept the, my big secrets in the past. You know, I was doing really well in a role, but I didn't know it. I felt very insecure because in my two previous roles, I'd actually been laid off. One company was acquired and I was part of a big layoff, but the other company, uh, I just didn't get along the boss, with my boss. So I had two layoffs behind me and I was very insecure in my third job and I didn't tell anyone. And I was telling myself all these negative stories inside my own mind. It was like, a tape recorder you know repeating the same message and I was just waiting for the day to come when I would be laid off again and I was just so full of anxiety that in the end I thought it's better I take the destiny in my own hands so I wrote my resignation letter which I held on to for about six months but eventually I sent it in and by that time you know I had already made up my mind that I was going to leave the place but they were all shocked, surprised, and, and they tried to save me. And But in my mind, I'd already switched off at that time. And that is really uh, an, an opener for me. And I, I, I never, ever want to make that mistake again. Because if only I would have spoken up earlier about the, the small little issues that they were at the time, this could have been solved. Got it. Wow. Very powerful. Okay, so we are going to transition now to rapid fire where we keep things short and sweet. What are the kinds of books that you enjoy reading the most? I really love to read biographies. Biographies. Anyone in particular? Well, I, I read a lot about the, the rock stars, actually, because talking about big egos, they're almost like senior executives. And I read recently <laughs> uh, the biography of Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. Fascinating. I hear that one. Okay, fascinating. A cool thing about living in Singapore that most people don't know. Well, it's on the equator, so we have the same temperature the whole year round. I'm not sure if everyone realized that it's actually on the equator. Wow. Okay. And what is that temperature for the most part? About 32, 33. Okay. And let's Celsius, translate Celsius. that to, right, to Fahrenheit. That would be in the 70s, a little bit warmer yes, even. A bit okay, warmer, very. maybe. Oh, wow. How about that? Okay. I think I need to relocate because it's not it's 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 in that number now in Fahrenheit by us, which is certainly not where I needed to be. Your favorite hobby? Well, it's uh, running. Running. Okay. And the last one, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done. I'm up very early. I'm normally a racer, a racer at uh, 4.30 a.m. Wow. You beat me by a half an hour. I'm up by five typically. Okay. Awesome. How can people connect with you, Nick? How can they learn more about your work? Well, they can uh, go to Amazon and look up my book called Executive Loneliness. Uh, otherwise, they find me on LinkedIn and it's Nick Johnson with a Swedish spelling on Johnson, J-O-N-S-S-O-N. Got it. Perfect. So everybody should definitely check you out. You have a lot of wisdom to share, but I'm going to ask you for one last nugget. So please leave us with a final life lesson to end the episode. Well, I want to end by saying that if anyone of the listeners have anything on their mind, any challenge, any issue, which gives them that pain, perhaps keeping them awake at night, just write it down on a paper and think of who can I take this to. It can be uh, a friend, a colleague, a family member. Otherwise, there's so many anonymous hotlines you can call. Uh, there's uh, even all the 12 uh, step support groups and anything is there for any issue you have. And most is run by volunteers. So just don't hold back. Just lift the phone or send that email and, 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 and reach out. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom and for lifting the curtain on some of the biggest challenges that we have, but won't necessarily comfortably acknowledge or admit to. Um, it's been a very powerful session. I'm really glad that we were able to create the time. And thank you for hopping on 
evening time in Singapore so that we could have this conversation. It's been a true pleasure. And I'm sure that my listeners are going to be getting a copy of your book because with with all that you dropped in just this short period of time, I can only imagine how much there is uh, in the book itself. So thank you again for coming on Lead to Succeed today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 